0: State can crush the individual. New Jersey. Don't you think we ought to make up some animal noises in case we get separated? I like people, but I like them in short bursts. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then, hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer GamerDude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today we've got some more stories for you, but it's kind of a mishmash episode. This is one of those weeks where I've been going through the stories that I want to tell, and I realize, as I have in the past, that I have some disjointed stories that are just random memories from when I was growing up. Ordinarily I try to have an overarching theme for each episode, but sometimes you just have these stories, these memories, these thoughts that occur to you, and you go, oh yeah, I remember that. But it doesn't necessarily tie into any big theme. But I want to save those stories anyway. The thing that prompted this episode was the bat story that I told on the stream this week. And don't worry if you didn't hear it, we're going to kick off this episode with the story about the bat in the attic. And that's coming up in just a second. The other thing that I wanted to throw in today's episode, though, is some more of the life advice, the things that occur to you as you're growing up, as you're growing older, the things that you want to pass on, the things that you've learned... I've done a few episodes like that as well, whether you call it the What I've Learned episode or the Life Advice episode. Old guys like me like to pass that stuff along to you, so we're going to throw some of that in at the end of this episode. And if you're like me, there's nothing you look forward to more than an old guy telling you how to live your life. So that's what we're doing today. First up, though, is the Bat Story. I was talking about this in the stream last week, and I don't know how I've forgotten this. It's just one of those random things that pops into your head sometimes, and this did. As I've mentioned in the past, I grew up in a house in the woods. We had about an acre of land, and our house was up on a hill amongst trees. And the area that we were was really undeveloped. It was really a house in the middle of the woods. I mean, there was a neighborhood, but each of the houses was on an acre of land. So the houses were well separated, and on our side of the street, all of the houses were in woods. So we would get critters in the house all the time. Mice, chipmunks, squirrels would chew on the shingles. We had critters all the time. I grew up with them all of the time. We'd get bugs in the house, too, and as a kid, there's nothing creepier than bugs in the house. Spiders in the closet, ants in the kitchen. We'd have everything from crickets to praying mantises. We'd have wasps and hornets. There was a hornet's nest one year. Don't worry, I'm going to get to the bat story. There was a hornet's nest one year that was in the ground. I guess it was hornets. Maybe it was wasps. I don't know. I was a kid. But they'd made their nest in a hole in the ground. And one of my idiot friends when I was a kid thought it would be a great idea to take the plunger that my dad had stored in the garage and plunge the wasp nest. Because that makes sense. Yeah, when you're ten, you come up with stupid ideas, and this was one of the stupidest ones. And as you might expect, the wasps, or the hornets, or whatever they were, they did not take kindly to having their nest plunged. And we were running like crazy. But the bad story is this. In our attic, we had these vents, as all addicts do. A vent on each end of the house. I guess my dad didn't realize that while the vents are kind of a screen, so it's not an open window into the house, the spaces between the slats on the vents were big enough to allow critters to get in. And those critters included bats. After this, my dad learned you should staple a screen over the vent so that it keeps out most of the big critters. But before that stapling of the screen took place, we had the misadventure of having a bat in the house. The bat came in through the vent at the end of the house. And because we kept that attic door open to get circulation going through the house, one night, the bat made his way from the attic into the main part of the house. And it started flying around. My recollection is that my mother shrieked from the kitchen, as you do when a bat comes flying through the kitchen. My dad leaped up from his chair. One of the few times that he actually did that, dad would often threaten to get out of his chair, but rarely did he actually get out of the chair. This was one of those times. Now, I couldn't have been more than eight or nine years old, something like that. I was a little kid. All I knew was that dad was in a panic. Mom was yelling, which she never did. And then you see this black winged creature flittering through the house and it just freaks you out. Now, to this day, as I sit here now, I have no idea how I would catch a bat in my house. And I'm guessing my dad had the same dilemma. Because it's not often you get a bat in the house. So the bat is flying through the house trying to find a way out, obviously. And we're ducking. It's a bat. As a kid, of course, you're thinking, oh my god, it's a vampire bat. It's going to bite me. Because that's where your mind goes as a kid. As an adult, I'd be saying, oh, i got to get this damn thing out of the house. Which is what I'm sure my dad was thinking. But how do you chase down a bat? I don't remember exactly how my dad did it. But I do remember he got the shop vac from the basement. And I'm pretty sure he was waiting for the bat to land somewhere. I don't remember the specific details, but I remember my dad carrying the shop vac around and wielding that long hose on those shop vacs like a lightsaber, just waving it around trying to catch the bat. He eventually did. I'm pretty sure that the bat lit somewhere on a lampshade or something like that. I don't remember the specific details because I'm pretty sure I was cowering under a table. But the bat touched down. My dad flipped the switch on the vacuum and sucked the bat into the shop vac. He shut it right off. I'm sure he didn't want to really kill the bat. He just wanted it out of the house. And then, of course, you put the shop vac on the front porch because you got to get the bat out of the house. But you don't want to be close to it when you do that? I mean, how pissed off does a bat get? I don't know. Comes out, goes right for your throat? I don't know. And I'm sure my dad didn't either. So what do you do? You throw the little catches on the top of the shop vac. You step back with a broom handle. And you give it a poke and try to lift the lid off. And that's how he got rid of the bat. Shortly after that, my dad was in the attic nailing screens to the vents. We didn't want to repeat that performance. One of the other things that I remember as a kid was learning how to fix bicycle tires. We would take our bicycles everywhere. We would ride our bikes on the street, of course, but there were also trails in the woods, and we'd take our bikes in there, too. The problem with a trail in the woods and old fashioned bikes like we had, we didn't have rough terrain tires, we just had bike tires. And if you know anything about a bike tire, it's a rubber tire, and then there's a tube inside the tire to give it air. As you're driving your bike through the woods and you hit a thorn or a sharp stick or even a sharp rock, it can go through the rubber of the tire and pop the tube. Now, we couldn't go to the store. There was no Amazon to order bike tubes from. If you popped your tire, you had to fix it. What you could do is go to the hardware store and find a tire repair kit. It came full with instructions and patches for your tubes. And so what we learned to do was take the tube out of a bicycle tire after you took the wheel off the bike, and you learned how to patch a tube. Now, obviously, we couldn't do that on the day that it happened, unless Mom happened to be in a good mood and was willing to drive us to the local Channel or Rickle or Jamesway, whatever store we might go to for a bike repair kit. We'd usually have to wait for the next shopping trip and hope Mom was willing to stop. Until that happened, you were without wheels, I mean, you could try to pump up a bike tire, but if you had a big enough hole in it, that bike tire would not stay pumped up. And when I say pumped up, I mean pumped up. We had a hand pump. That's how we pumped up bike tires. That's how we pumped up footballs and basketballs. We had a hand pump. So what you would do until you got that bike repair kit, you would hope that the hole was not big enough so that the air would rush out as soon as you put it in. You might get an afternoon out of pumping up your tire until you could repair it. But that's one of the many skills we had to learn. As kids, we had to learn to fix our own bike tires. You didn't buy a new bike or a new tire or a new wheel or a new tube. Not only was there no place for it, but we couldn't afford it. A bike repair kit might cost two bucks, but then you could repair your bike tire for the next three summers because there was enough rubber in there, enough patches, I should say, to keep that bike tire repaired. And believe me, we'd pop tires all of the time because we rode our bikes all of the time. It's just one of the things that we did all of the time. The other thing we did all of the time was play with toys. I've mentioned some of the toys we've played with in other episodes, but just the overall concept of playing with toys is something that's very different these days than when I was a kid. A lot of times these days, if you get toys for kids, they'll play with it once or twice. They might give you a week's worth on a really good toy. But when I was a kid, the toys that we played with, we played with all of the time and for a long time. We would get Tonka trucks, for instance. Tonka was the brand name. These were big metal trucks. Yes, actually made of metal. And you could get a steamroller. You could get a dump truck. You could get a plow. You could get a backhoe. And we would go out in the dirt or in the sandbox and we'd roll our trucks around and we'd pave roads and we'd plow roads. We'd use the crane to fill the dump truck. I mean, we would do this day after day. We'd play with our Tonka trucks all of the time. All summer long, we'd have Tonka trucks in the sandbox, in the driveway, on the dirt path in the back. We used those Tonka trucks. One of the other things we used all of the time was little plastic figures. It sounds boring, but as kids back when I was a kid, they were super exciting. Because you could set up battles. You could get a bag of soldiers, for instance. One soldier would have a machine gun. One would have a bazooka. You'd usually get two different colors, a dark green and a light green. And you could set up battles in your sandbox, on the front porch, in the house. Now, the plastic figures didn't do anything. They just stood there. But you used your imagination to come up with a battle. And you could move the figures around and take over that hill. You'd lose that fort. Take over the ridge that was on the old log in the backyard. Now these plastic figures were maybe an inch and a half, two inches tall. So you could get like a hundred figures for a buck. And then you could play with them all summer long. Back in the politically incorrect times that I grew up in, you could also get a bag of cowboys and Indians. Because cowboy and Indian fights were big. That's what they were called. Cowboys and Indians. We didn't use the phrase Native Americans back then. It was cowboys and Indians. That's what we got. And, you know, with westerns on TV, western movies, western TV shows, it was cowboys and Indians. The cowboys were always the good guys, Indians were always the bad guys. There was no nuance when I was a kid. Now, I've since grown up to appreciate how wrong that is, I understand that, I understand what the United States did to the Native Americans, and I understand how wrong that is, but when you're 8, nine, ten years old and you have a bag of cowboys and Indians and all you know is what you've seen on TV, that's what you play. But as an aside, the fact that I can recognize how wrong it is now shows you can learn, shows you don't have to be an idiot all of your life. When I was a kid, it was okay. As an adult, I recognized, hmm, maybe this isn't the best toy to play with. But when I was a kid, that's what we played with. And we'd play with them either in the sandbox or with the cowboys and Indians because we also had a Lionel train set. We would set up battles on the trains. We'd have the Indians attacking the train. We'd have the cowboys defending the train. We'd have people wiped out by the train. Oh yeah, we'd play with those toys all of the time. Even toys as simple as an Etch-A-Sketch. Etch-A-Sketch was big when I was a kid. I always tried to figure out how the damn thing worked. Never did. But Etch-A-Sketch would hold our attention for hours. Even something as simple as a Super ball. The Super ball was made of some kind of fancy rubber compound. Once upon a time, I knew the history of it. Some chemist discovered some compound that was super bouncy. And so they put it into rubber balls and you could bounce a Super ball as high as the house. I'm not kidding. If you threw that super ball down on the ground, put some force in it, that ball would bounce. Trying to track it down was the challenge. Because it would bounce super high, come down, and bounce super high again. And in random directions. But we would get hours out of playing with a super ball. Bounce it. Chase it. Somebody else got a turn, they'd bounce it, you'd chase it. Whoever caught it would bounce it. Everybody else would chase it. Simple little things like that. That's how we entertained ourselves. We also entertained ourselves by making toys out of whatever was nearby. As I said, we lived in the woods. If you find the right-shaped stick, you can have any kind of gun you want. You can have any kind of sword you want. And we did. A good solid hunk of wood that fit into your hand just right made a really good pretend gun. And it was free. Didn't have to go to any store to buy anything. All you needed was a properly shaped stick and your vocal cords. Bang, bang! There you go. Gun. Wrapping paper tubes. Those were always good for sword fights, too. Not as sturdy as a stick. But boy, a wrapping paper tube made a great sword. The paper towel tube? Great dagger. You needed to have weapons? We would just grab that stuff and play with it until it broke. Because the sticks always broke. The paper towel tube always got crushed. The wrapping paper tube lasted about three blows and then it was done. But we made use of it for as long as we could. It's just what you did. One of the other things that we did regularly was wash cars. Now, I don't mean going to the car wash. I don't mean going to the self-serve. I mean, you'd get a bucket, you'd get car wash from the automotive shop, You'd fill the bucket with water and use a sponge and a scrubby and literally wash your car in the driveway. That was actually one of the things that I could do to earn extra money. Wash my dad's car. And if I wanted a little bonus, I could wax it. Oh, it was a process, of course. You had to wash the quarter panels with soap. You had to wash around the fenders, around the hood. You had to climb up on a stepladder to get to the roof. You had to wash the whole thing and make sure it was clean. Then you had to dry it. My dad had a box full of old rags, torn up towels, torn up t-shirts, whatever. And you'd use the rags to dry the car. Then after you got it dry, you had to apply the wax. And the way wax worked back then, you had to let the wax dry and then you'd wipe that off. But you didn't just wipe it off. You had to buff it off so that the wax would shine. Car care was very, very personal when I was a kid. We didn't have a car wash near us anyway. But even if we did, my dad wasn't going to spend money for a car wash. For the price of a car wash, you could get a canister of car wash soap and he had three kids. Somebody was going to wash the car, and we did. One of the other things that I did for entertainment to amuse myself as I got older was go bowling. I loved bowling. I remember watching bowling when I was a kid. Bowling was big on television. There were two sports that were always on TV, always. I mean, baseball, yes, but fighting, boxing, and bowling were always on TV. Every Saturday, you could find a fight somewhere on TV. And every weekend, Saturday, and sometimes Sunday, you could find bowling. The PBA, the Professional Bowlers Association, was huge back then. And a lot of people bowled. My dad was a bowler. My dad was in a league. He had his own ball, had his own shoes. And my dad wasn't an athlete. He didn't do athletic activities. He just wasn't that guy. But he did bowl. Everybody bowled. And so when I discovered bowling, I learned to bowl too. And I loved going bowling. That was my first real social activity when I was a teenager, going bowling with my friends. One of the first places that I drove to with friends was to the local bowling alley. We actually found two or three bowling alleys near us, all within about a half hour drive. And depending on our mood, we would head off to one of those bowling alleys and spend the afternoon. It was relatively cheap to go bowling, the shoe rentals were relatively cheap, and we had a good time. It was a regular thing that we did, the bowling trips. It was a great time to hang out. One of the bowling alleys had a snack bar so you could go there, bowl a little bit, have hot dogs and fries and some soda, and just hang out. It was a cool place to be, and it was just a great way to get away from being at home with your parents and go hang out with your friends. Talking about bowling and thinking about bowling, that's one of the things that brought me to the life advice portion of this episode. That's what this is. Because I don't remember the last time that I went bowling with my friends. As we get older, we're going to experience a lot of last times. The last time you go swimming in that lake. The last time you go bowling with your friends. The last time you go to an arcade. The last time you go to the ice cream parlor that you went to in high school. The last time you get burgers at the drive-in restaurant. The last time you kiss somebody. The last time you go on a date with that person. One of the things that I've come to realize is we have a lifetime full of last times. And we never see it coming. We never realize when the last time we do something is going to be. Your life changes so fast. Your friends' lives change so fast. You grow up. You grow apart. You get a new job. They get a new job. You go away to school. They go away to school. You're in a relationship. The relationship ends. And if it's a group of friends or if it's a relationship or whatever it is, sometimes you try to make it happen again, but schedules are difficult to match up after a while. You say, this week doesn't work for me, how about next week? Oh, it doesn't work for you, all right, how about the week after that? You just never know when the last time of something is going to be. My point of saying all that is, treasure the moments that you're experiencing. Treasure the moments that you're having a good time, that you're spending with people that you like. Because you never know when that last time with those people, doing that thing, enjoying that ice cream, having that moment, is going to be. Things change and we just can't help it. We never see it coming. So enjoy those moments and treasure them while you're in them. Because there will come a time where you'll look back and you'll say, Oh, I wish I could do that one more time. Another thing that I've learned over the years, and it's kind of nice to see that people are embracing it more these days than they were when I was a kid. It's okay to be a little weird. It's okay to be a little different. Don't get me wrong. In high school especially, it's going to be painful. The weird kids, the ones who stick out a little bit, the ones who are a little different... In high school, they're always going to be looked at as weird. But the thing that I've also discovered is you attract people who share your weirdness. It's even easier these days with social media, with Twitch. My little community is a bunch of people who get along. Are we weird? Oh, well, I'm an old dude streaming games. That's kind of weird. But I embrace it, and I don't care what people think. And that's my point. Just because you have weird habits, weird hobbies, weird things that you like to do, there's nothing wrong with that. I wear my weirdness on my sleeve, and it turns out that other people seem to like that weirdness. And that's true no matter what you're doing. Once you get past that awkward, horrible time of high school and the teenage years, once you are yourself, and you're doing what you like to do, and you do it with some passion, people will see that and gravitate towards you. I don't know if it's scientific theory, but weirdness attracts weirdness. People of similar likes, similar tastes, with similar worldviews, they find each other. They always have. It's just easier now. So my point is, don't ever worry about being weird. It's okay. We're all a little weird. You just have to find your tribe of weirdness that makes you happy. And the only way to do that is to be your own true weird self. Now this kind of follows on that. This is something that I learned just being a human being alive in the world. Don't compare yourself to your friends, to your colleagues, to other people. We all have our own path to walk in this life, and you have a path that's unique to you. You have different priorities than Stan down the street, or Betty around the corner, or Frank in the next cubicle. Maybe Frank wants a beach house. Maybe Betty wants to drive a fast car. Maybe Stan wants to play in a rock and roll band. Those are the things that are particular to them. The things that they do with their lives, the things that they spend their money on, the trips that they take, the clothes that they wear... That's all unique to them, or at least it should be. You need to be true to yourself. You don't have to match what other people are doing. You don't have to do what other people are doing. You can be friends with Stan and Betty and Frank. There's nothing wrong with that. But just because Betty is driving a new Corvette doesn't mean that you should be driving a new Corvette, especially if you don't like Corvettes. Just because Stan is spending his money on a new guitar doesn't mean you need to. Just because he's going out listening to music all night long, haunting the clubs, going to New York, whatever, doesn't mean you should feel compelled to do that. What makes you happy? Be true to yourself. There's an old saying, keeping up with the Joneses. A lot of people in this world feel the need to keep up with their neighbors. They get a new car, you need a new car. They get a hot tub, you need a bigger hot tub. They put an addition on the house, you need to put a second story on the house. You don't need to compete with people. You don't need to keep up with people. There's no checklist at the end of your life where you tick all the boxes to show that you've been successful. Well, the neighbors had two cars and a boat, but we had three cars, a boat, and a jet ski. So we win. That's not how life works. And if you're living your life that way, you're missing out. You want to live your life to get your happiness today. Yeah, you want to be happy down the road, too. You want to be able to retire, too. You want to be able to have enough savings to retire on. You want to retire in comfort. You want to have a nice place to live. That's all true. But you're not going to get there by keeping up with the Joneses. You're only going to get there. You're only going to have that happy retirement. You're only going to have that happy life if you live a life that's true to what's important to you. So keep that in mind when you're doing things, when you're planning your life, when you're planning activities. Be true to you. The last piece of advice that I want to give you today is a simple one. No is a perfectly acceptable answer. You can tell people no. You don't have to be a people pleaser. You don't have to keep people happy. You don't have to say yes to everything people ask. You don't have to say yes to make your friends like you. Sometimes the answer that you need and that you should say is no. You can say it politely, no thank you. You can say it in the form of a longer sentence, no I'd rather not, or no I don't have time. But just saying no to anything is completely acceptable and you're allowed to use it as often as you want. It took me a long time to come to that realization. There was a lot of times where I was agreeing to do things that I really didn't want to do. There's a lot of times I was agreeing to see people or go places that I really didn't want to see or that I didn't really want to go. And I was miserable the whole time. I was quietly miserable and politely miserable, but I was miserable. I didn't want to be there with that person. When I finally realized it was okay to say no to things, my life got a whole lot happier and a whole lot easier. I say yes to a lot of things, but I say yes to things that I really want to do. And I say yes to spending time with people that I really want to spend time with. But I realized I shouldn't torture myself. This is my life. I should be able to live it and spend time doing the things I want to spend time doing. And that's why I learned to use no as an answer more often. My suggestion to you is you learn that lesson too. So there you have it. Some more stories from when I was a kid and some more life advice for you to take under advisement. You can use it or not as you see fit. But that's always the case. What works for me may not work for you, but I've been around long enough. This stuff is tried and true and it does work. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for being here. As always, I appreciate your time. I appreciate the fact that you're listening and I can't thank you enough for your support. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves and I'll see you when I see you.